Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. On this episode, I am joined by David Jerome, the author of the book, Bill Verdon, A Life in Baseball. If you're too young to know who Bill Verdon is, the first manager to lead the Astros to the playoffs. I know you Astro fans out there are very, very spoiled but here to talk about his book, David Jerome. David, thank you so much for coming on. It's good to be with you, Robert. Thank you very much. So what connection do you have with Bill Verdon, and what made you want to write the book? Well, I knew of Bill Verdon uh, starting when he was basically the, uh, the manager of the Yankees back in 74 and 75. Uh, I was aware of him then. I wasn't aware of him when I watched the World Series in 1971 when he was a coach under his mentor, Danny Mont uh, Murdaugh, with the uh, Pirates when they beat the uh, Orioles in the 1971 World Series. But I certainly became more aware of him uh, with the Astro as the Astro skipper uh, from 70, the fall of 75 until 82. But I met Bill in person him and his wife, Shirley, in July of 2019 for the very first time. I was the associate pastor at their church, and I got to know him pretty well. Uh, they would come to the seniors, get together every Thursday at the church. Uh, they would have classes, and they would have a lunch together. And, long, and that was in July. Along about November, I started wondering, why hasn't anybody ever written a book about Bill Verdon? And so I asked the seniors director that question. And he said, well, David, I think a couple of people have approached Bill and Shirley about doing a book, but they didn't seem to be all that interested. Uh, Bill was a very quiet, humble person, uh, in spite of maybe some of his uh, uh, perception of others. But anyway, in November, uh, they said yes to me. Uh, and I asked, I said, can I, would you allow me to do it? And they said, yes. Wow. And so we began in earnest in January of 2020 uh, to pursue this biography project on Bill Verdon. Uh, we had our first interview in their, in their home on the south side of Springfield, Missouri, in Janu on January 31st, 2020. And we finished the book uh, by October of 2021. Uh, so COVID hit, the, hit, hit, uh, hit in, Jan in February of 2020. Uh, I decided to step down from my role as the associate pastor at the church and focus full time on getting this book completed. And I'm glad I did. And so COVID really didn't slow my wife and I and the Verdans down very much. I mean, we were cautious about getting together with them for a couple of months, but we continued to uh, push ahead in getting this uh, biography done. And I'm really glad we did. And we were safe and, and uh, the storytelling was remarkable. And I think that's what makes this book so good is because, I mean, if I may say so myself, <laughs> is the storytelling associated with the book. And you're so getting the that's story. That's kind of how it evolved. You're getting the story straight from the source, too. So that's exactly right. And Bill was never one to brag on himself. And so what I had to do, Robert, is I had to confront him on what he had done. Now, I'm not talking about just as a player or as a manager. I'm talking about going back to high school and when he was in the minor leagues. Uh, I mean, I had to 
do all that research in preparation for our next discussion together. We met two or three times a week. I mean, there were hundreds of hours of interviews. Uh, we only lived about 50, we only live about 15 minutes from the Verdans on the set. We were in Ozark and they're on the, they were on the South side of Springfield. So we got to see them a lot over a year and a half period. Uh, but I always did my research because I know, I just knew that Bill was not going to, yeah, yeah, you know, here's what I did. Just sit back and listen. He, he was nothing like that. And so I had to say, what about that catch in the first game of the 1960 World Series off Yogi Berra? I mean, you know, things like that. So then he would open up and talk about it a little bit. So back when he was in high school, I found something amazing that his high school team, he played football, basketball, and track, and they didn't have a baseball team. He had to travel to Kansas to play baseball. Well, during high school, during the summer, he would play on a town team. So he he became familiar with the fundamentals of baseball by playing on that town team. And yes, uh, in the summer of 1948, him and his good friend, Gene, Gene Richmond, he found out that Gene Richmond was born to go to Clay Center, Kansas, to play amateur baseball. And Bill said, well, can I go with you? And Gene said, well, I guess you can. And so they rode out there in Gene's car. Gene was about two or three years older than Bill. And so they go out to Clay Center. And after about two weeks, uh, you had to try out for those teams. Mm -hmm. And they sent Gene back home to West Plains, and they kept Bill Verdon. And at that time, Bill was playing shortstop. And so he, he played throughout the 48 summer uh, season in Clay Center. And then he went back out after he graduated from high school in 49, uh, he went back out to Clay Center to play another year of amateur ball. And that's when Tom Greenway, the famous uh, scout for the New York Yankees, discovered him and invited him to Branson, Missouri uh, to for a, a Yankee tryout camp. So, yes, uh, he, he knew baseball well enough. Uh, having played on those town teams to been really good in the, at that amateur during those amateur seasons. So it seemed like he wasn't the greatest player ever in the minor leagues and ended up getting traded to St. Louis. He was kind of blocked. Uh, I guess he got better, right? But he, he was kind of blocked by Mickey Mantle, who, who was the center fielder of the Yankees. So they traded yeah, like him to, to St. Louis. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to talk about that. That's a pretty good – that's a really good point you're making. Um, and – um, the spring of 54, Bill was invited to a Yankee spring training in Florida, and he was in the outfield with the likes of Mickey Mantle and Hank Bauer and others, and they were taking turns uh, fielding uh, baseballs that were being hit, I guess, in, in uh, hitting practice in the, in the infield, and it was Bill's turn to catch fly balls, and so he, he was all business on the, on the field. And um, somehow Casey Stingle, the manager of the Yankees, got between Bill and the cutoff man. And Casey's back was to Bill. And Bill didn't see him. And he threw the ball and hit Casey Stingle right between the three and the seven in his back and knocked him to the ground. And Mickey Mantle and Hank Bauer and others hit the, hit the earth. And they were pointing up at Bill saying, he did it, he did it, he did it. And, and two weeks later, Bill got traded to the Cardinals. But Bill did make the statement that he said 
as long as uh, Mickey Mantle is in center field for the Yankees, I won't have an opportunity to play for the Yankees at the at the Major League Baseball level. But to go to your point, as far as how he did in the minors, uh, he did get traded to the Cardinals, and they sent him up to Rochester, New York, and he played for the Rochester, uh, the Triple A affiliate for the Cardinals up there, the Red Redbirds, and he led the International League in hitting that year. Uh, so he was doing real well in batting, um, and so. And then he went to play Cuba ball and he was a standout in winter ball down in Cuba. And then he went to the spring training with the Cardinals. And then he was the NL rookie of the year for the Cardinals uh, for the national league in 1955. And he had a really good year, of course, you know, obviously rookie of the year, but the following spring, uh, Frank trader lane, who was the general manager for the Cardinals was at a game with Joel Brown, the general manager for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. And he was impressed by Bobby Del Greco. And he, Bobby Del Greco was a center fielder for the Pirates. And during a game, he hit two home runs. Well, that was enough to impress Trader Lane. And so he traded Bill Burden for Bobby Del Greco. And there's some more people involved in that trade, but that's how Bill ended up with the Pirates in early 56. But he never did go back down to the minor leagues again. He was good enough to stay in the major leagues. I I read something where that uh, Frank Lane, his nickname was the Trader because he traded everybody. Yeah. But didn't he say, you know, that turned out to be one of the worst trades that he ever made? Well, I think he did admit that. That's yeah. for sure. I mean, there's no question about that. It was one of the worst trades he ever made because Bill – Bill always flew under the radar. He was an underrated player, but he was consistent. He was always good. And one of the things that Roberto Clemente said about Bill Verdon, the reason he doesn't get the press is because he makes playing center field look so easy. Mm. And I think uh, Trader Lane and others came to that realization. And that's why Frank would have said that. But Gussie Bush, the owner of the, of the Cardinals, he was getting ready. To, he, he traded Red Shandies. He was getting ready to play, uh, trade possibly Stan Musil that same year. And Gussie said, hold on. You're not doing any more trading unless it comes through me. But he had already traded Bill Verdon to the Pirates. Mm. So when he goes to Pittsburgh, he almost wins a batting title. He's battling uh, the great Hank Aaron for the batting title. At 56. I think Hank had finished at 328, and I believe that Bill finished at 317. I, I might be wrong on that, but it's pretty close. Sounds about right. Yeah. So why did they name him? His nickname was the Quail. <laughs> Bob Prince was the sportscaster, the voice of the Pirates. And he's basically the one that dubbed the players with their, their nickname. And Bill was notorious or known for hitting uh, base hits, uh, you know, inside hit, uh, uh, in infield hits, maybe some of them made of the outfield. But Bob Prince... Uh, uh, liken those hits to quails jumping up. And so he nicknamed it the quail. And ironically, Bill loved to quail hunt during the offseason. So I don't know what happened to St. Louis in those days, but, you know, he gets traded to Pittsburgh and the general manager, the owner, they kind of regret it, but he comes to Pittsburgh and he gets to win a World Series. Yes. Yeah, the uh, the... the you know, the, the Pirates had not been 
had not won or not been in a World Series, I don't think, since 1927 up to that point. Uh, they had a good year in 58 when Danny Murtaugh came in to manage the Pirates. Uh, I think he he uh, he replaced Bobby Braden uh, in mid-year 58, and, and Murtaugh took him over, and he basically turned that team around. And in 1959, they had kind of a setback. And uh, one of the things that Danny Murtaugh discovered is he didn't want the wives of the players at away games. They didn't, they didn't want, he didn't want the players having their wives with them on uh, when they were out of town. So he put a halt to that. Now I guess that things improved in 1960, but <laughs> anyway, uh, Bill had a remarkable year in 1960. Um, uh, Dick Grote is, is good. His roommate would be the uh, NL MVP that year. Um, but Bill had remarkable uh, games uh, in all seven games of the 1960 World Series, uh, beginning with game one. Um, he was in center field, and of course, with, you know, next to Roberto Clemente, they played next to each other for 10 seasons in the outfield in Pittsburgh. And uh, Yogi Berra, and I think Roger Maris is on base, and I can't remember who else was on base, but Yogi Berra came to play, and he hit what was a certain double to deep uh, right center right field and Verdon and Clemente were all over that ball as soon as it cracked the bat and uh, Bill was honed in on it and his steel cleat cut into the shoe leather of Roberto Clemente's left shoe and Bill made that catch uh, that saved uh, two runs and that basically determined the outcome of game one where the, when the Pirates beat the Yankees in game one the same, a very similar thing happened in Game Four when, when Bob Serve came to bat in the in the um, seventh inning, he also hit what was a certain double, uh, and Bill caught that. Bill mentioned to me that that was probably the more, most acrobatic of the two catches that he made between Game Four One and Game Four. But Casey Stingle would say after the after the series was over with. And Bill made some other phenomenal plays. I mean, game four also, Bill was responsible on both sides of the plate. Uh, in, in, in addition to making those phenomenal defensive plays, uh, he accounted for two of the three runs that the Pirates that the Pirates made that game to beat the Yankees three to two. Uh, but at the end of the season, I mean, at the end of the series, Casey Stingle made a comment to the effect that that center fielder has been a problem for us all year. Well, I don't know what that was kind of Stingley's because they'd only played him during the World Series. But that was Stingle's way of telling everybody that Verdon was the problem for their team, the reason they didn't win. You know, Mazarowski obviously did had a phenomenal uh, series, and there's no question Bill would always give him credit for that. There's no question about that. Uh, but Bill kind of flew under the radar even during the series. Yeah, it would seem like if he's out in the outfield with Roberto Clemente, he's going to get overshadowed a little bit. But I had read, I I think it it sounded like someone's opinion, so I, I looked up a story, and that Bill Mazeroski home run in 1960 World Series was voted the best World Series or the greatest home run ever in Major League Baseball history, not not just the World Series. Well, if it wasn't, it should have been. Uh, you know, the little side story on that is Mazeroski wasn't aware it was even his turn to bat. <laughs> Someone had to tell him in the dugout, hey, hey, Maz, you're up. 
<laughs> so he played <laughs> what? So he, he went up there and I think he took the first pitch. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that was a big, big, big play. So Bill Vernon retired in five years later because he had the, the desire the to be a manager. At the end of the 65 season, he did repuck tires, a full-time player, and he was hired to um, manage in the Mets AA affiliate with for the Mets AA affiliate, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And that's where he met Nolan Ryan for the first time as a young pitcher. Um, and then he, the following year, he uh, joined the, he managed the AAA affiliate for the Mets down in Jacksonville. And again, he would be, Pair, you know, he would have Nolan Ryan on that team. And that was the same year that Nolan Ryan and his wife got married. Um, but both, those are the two years that he managed in the minors. And then he came back in 1968 or the fall of 67, actually, and was hired as a hitting coach for the Pirates again. Joel Brown brought him back to, to be the hitting coach. And uh, but for two weeks, the last two weeks of July 1968, Vietnam War in 1968 was 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 really big, and you know we had all kinds of problems in society at that time, and the uh, the the farm system in the major in the in professional baseball was decimated because players were being drafted to serve in the military, and so they really didn't have a lot of people to draw from out of the farm system. So Bill said, "Well, you know I'll play," and so for two weeks, the last two weeks of July '68. Uh, he was he activated himself as a player um, and the very last at bat for Bill Verdon was against the Cincinnati Reds in the bottom of the ninth and I think it was, they were it was uh, they needed a run to tie it to go to extra innings and Bill hits a home run and takes it into extra innings and but the Pirates went on to lose the, to the Reds but that was Bill's last at bat was a home run in July of 1968. He didn't have a whole lot of home runs in his career. No, he didn't. Uh, 92 or something like that. With a name like the quail. <laughs> That's right. right? That you, wouldn't expect, you wouldn't expect him to hit a home run in the last at bat. Well, the thing about the thing about Bill and hitting him and Dick Grote, uh, they were roommates and they were known for the hit and run. The idea was for Bill Verdon to get on base somehow and he was always, he was typically the leadoff hitter and for him to get on base. So Dick Grote could either, you know, hit a home run or advance him or something. So that was kind of the concept that they fell under. And, and, uh, and he wasn't known to be a power hitter. That's for sure. But he was a good, he was a good hitter. I mean, he, he understood hitting very, very well. All right. We're going to get into Bill Verdon's major league coaching career right after this folks all right we're back so he ended up going back to pittsburgh right and joining their staff and that team ended up winning the world series in 71 and roberto clemente is still on the team and he played with them in 1960 oh yeah they were they were ten, they were teammates for 10 seasons uh um uh, dick grow when i talked to him uh his input on this book that basically bill was a a coach on the field as a player. Uh, mm -hmm. The players had a lot of respect for Bill Verdon. 
Bob Skinner became a great, you know, pretty good left fielder. And I think Bill helped him with that at, from center field. And I think Bill saw uh, Roberto Clemente improve as a, an outfielder, a right fielder uh, over his time. And obviously he became a great one. And Bill would be the first to tell you, yeah, he, he was great at what he did. But Bill saw him grow in his greatness. Uh, but I think Roberto, like I said earlier, uh, Bill Verdon makes uh, the reason he doesn't get the press is because he makes playing center field look so easy. And, and to me, that is, those are words of respect coming from Roberto. So when he became the manager, uh, a coach, and then a manager of the of the Pirates, um, Roberto Clemente didn't have a problem with that at all, and neither did Mazeroski and and others. So they win the World Series in 71, and he's on the staff, but 72, he takes over as the manager. The fall of 71, he's... Yeah. yeah. And then, so they go from the World Series, he, he's the manager, and then I and then uh, the team In the struggles. fall of 71, uh, Murtaugh retires in the fall of 71, and, and Joel Brown uh, makes uh, names Bill the, uh, the manager. Right. And as a manager, they go from winning the World Series and the next year or so, they they fall down into third place. And I guess Pittsburgh has super high expectations and he was let go. Well, I tell you, you know, uh, Robert, the 1972 se uh, season was very, very good. Uh, Bill was not a clone of his mentor, Danny Murtaugh. He had a highest regard for him. Uh, whenever he talks about his favorite manager, it was always Danny Murtaugh. Mm -hmm. But Bill was going to be his own person, and he indeed he was. Uh, he learned a lot from Danny. There's no question about that. Uh, but that 1972 Pirates team was phenomenal. Uh, they were uh, really close to going to the, uh, to the World Series that year. Um, Bob Moose, unfortunately, threw a wild pitch, scoring another run that knocked him out of going to the series. Uh, 73 was a different story. I will grant you that. Uh, he, they were struggling. Um, two things happened. Roberto Clemente was killed tragically in a, in a plane crash on December 31st, 1972. Um, and another thing happened. Their pitching ace, Steve Blass, uh, for some reason, couldn't get the ball over the plate. And I talked to Steve about that at length. Um, about what happened. He said, David, every, they did everything they could to try to get me back on track in pitching. But they couldn't, you know, they sent me to psychiatrists. They sent me to all kinds of people to try to help me get the ball back over the plate. So there's some things working against Bill. And just like Trader Lane said, Joel Brown would later say, it was a mistake to have fired Bill Burden as the manager of the Pirates because he was doing a good job as manager. But he had some things working against him. Yeah. So now, 1975, he gets hired as the manager of the Astros. In 1970, by, by way of the Yankees, yeah. By the way, yeah. And then 19, oh yeah, he did go to the Yankees in between that for uh, what, 73 and 74? He was there. He got hired in January 74, and he was fired on August 1st, 1975 by, by Steinbrenner and John McHale. John McHale didn't want to fire him, but he, he was basically directed to firing bill was not flamboyant enough for george steinbrenner uh, even though in 1974 he was the al sporting news al manager of the year 
for the Yankees. The Yankees had been pretty much dormant for a decade. They hadn't really been competitive at all. Bill comes in there and shakes things up. And Lee Pinnell, Lou Pinella would later say in 1976, when the Yankees were back in the World Series, he said, the reason we're here is because of what Bill Verdon did for us. Basic, Bill worked them hard, and, and he demanded a lot. But like I said, George Steinbrenner, uh, he's not here to defend himself, but he didn't. He wanted he wanted a more flamboyant manager, and that was Billy Martin, not Bill Verdon. Hmm. So in 1979, the Astros come oh so close. Oh yes, to, the, to their very first playoff appearance, right? 1979, and then they finally make it in 1980. Well, Bill goes to uh, Cal Smith, leaves New York. He was in the Yankees organization as an executive as well uh, when Bill was there as manager. And uh, Tal Smith was offered the position of general manager back in Houston. Of course, he jumped on it, went back there. Uh, he observed uh, Preston Gomez for a while uh, in, in August of, of 75. And he knew, uh, and like Tal told me, um, when David, when they when they replace the general manager and there's other things going on, the team's not doing well, something has to happen. And at that point in the fall of 75, the Astros had the second worst record in Major League Baseball. The only team that was worse were the was worse was the were the Detroit Tigers. Hmm. Uh, so Bill gets hired two weeks after uh, Tal goes down there. And uh, and he replaces Go uh, Preston Gomez, and Bill takes the Astros to 17 and 17 for the remainder of that season. Then they go into 76, and, and Bill Bill mentioned he said David that they had all kinds of talent. They, they had a bad record, but the players were there. They had good talent on that team, and the only thing that uh, Tal and Bill did was work hard to uh, exploit that talent and to bring some people in to to make them a more competitive team. And, and they did that in very short order. I would say four years is pretty short. Oh yeah. Given where they were. Yeah. So he takes them to the playoffs in 1980 and 81, they make it to the, the NLDS. And then 1982, they, they go down to fifth place, but talk a little bit about if, if you can recall any stories about, uh, the 1980 playoffs? Well, as you know, uh, 1980, uh, the season got extended because they had just got through playing the Atlanta Braves, and then they were going out to Los Angeles to finish up the season against the Dodgers. And they, I think they just needed to win one game out of four against the Dodgers to clinch the division, and, and they couldn't get it done. And so they actually had to extend the season one, one game which they finally won. Uh, mm -hmm. Then they had to fly back to Philadelphia for the first game of the NLCS. Um, so it was a pretty eventful end of the season. Uh, and of course, they went the full, uh, you know, they went all, they were six outs from making it to the World Series against the Kansas City Royals in 1980. Uh, so it was probably one of the, you know, talking about the best home run from Mazeroski. I would I would offer up that that was the best NLCS in history between the Phillies and, and the Astros back then. Um, but yeah, they were they they just knew that they were going to be able to finish that game out at the Astrodome 
but they were six outs away and they lost it. It was, you know, you know, like Craig Reynolds told me, he said, David, when I got on first base uh, in that game, uh, Pete Rose was playing first base and he, he looked over at him and Craig misunderstood what he was saying. And I, and I can paraphrase for Craig and I don't have his exact quote in front of me. And uh, Pete says, it's too bad that one of us have, have to lose. And Craig thought, he said, it's too bad you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And Craig got upset with Pete Rose, but then pre- Pete repeated what he had said, and then everything was okay. But uh, they both recognized it was a very competitive NLCS, NCL National League Championship Series. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So I mean, he turned this team around, and then when they struggled in 1982, was there any reason that you know of that they were struggling? No, uh, what I what I find inexplicable, though, Robert, is why would John McMullen fire the uh, National League Executive of the Year, Tal Smith, in October of 1980? I mean, that's what I never could understand. Uh, Tal Smith and Bill Verdens were the reasons that the Astros got to that point to begin with, and then they fight. Then John McMullen fires uh, Tal Smith. Uh, just a month after the NLCS uh, in October of 80. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't put my hand finger on what happened in 1982. Um, I mean, it just, in, Bill, Bill, Bill would always say, well, that was baseball. <laughs> so yeah. it just happened. But, but I, I would argue, and you kind of led or inferred it a while ago, is that the Astros have been pretty good ever since. You know, Bill is the winningest manager in Astros history even now, but I'm thinking that maybe Dusty Baker will have something to say about that. (laughs) Yeah, he may not have as many wins, but he's going to uh, have two World Series. No no one has that. But he ended up going – Go ahead. I was going to say, after he left the Astros, he ended up going to the Expos for a couple years. Uh, Did he not like it there in Montreal? There were some good talent. You know, Andre Dawson was on that team. Gary Carter was the catcher. Uh, Steve Rogers, a homeboy from from Springfield, Missouri here, was on that team. Al Oliver, uh, a carryover from Pittsburgh, was on that team. I was able to talk to Steve Rogers and Al Oliver about the Montreal experience. Uh, Bill could not find – he. For the first time, I think, in his professional baseball career, he could not determine what the problem was on that club. Uh, and he couldn't find how to fix the problem. And I will say this, you know, Bill was, his best friend was Mel Wright. Mel Wright was his pitching coach in Pittsburgh, New York, Houston, and he took him with him to, to Montreal. Well, Mel Wright died of cancer in, in Houston when Montreal came down to play the Astros uh, sometime in early, in early April, at the beginning of the season. And Mel checked him in, in himself into a hospital in, in Houston, and he never came out, and he died in the middle of May of, uh, of 83. That really took the wind out of Bill Sales, too. And, and Al Oliver and Steve Rogers said that really affected Bill Verdon. But Bill was a professional. Uh, he still wanted the, the baseball team to, to do well and everybody to try as hard as they possibly could. But like he told me, he just didn't understand what the problem was. He couldn't put his finger on it. 
I'd also read that he interviewed uh, when the Rockies and the Marlins came uh, into the league and he didn't get it. There was an Orioles opening. So I know he wanted to continue uh, managing teams. And he was even the bench coach for the Astros in 1997. He retired in 2002. How old was he when he retired? 71. But let me go back a little bit on these opportunities in, in Miami and, and uh, okay. Denver. Um, at the end of 84, Bill was pretty tired. I mean, he was frustrated with the Montreal Expos. He had told the, the Montreal front office that he was not going to be back the following year. Uh, they re they released him early. Uh, I don't. No one knows why, but they released him. He would. He just simply told him. He said, "I'm not going to be back next year." But Bill was tired of traveling at that point uh, in 1984. I mean, he was 53 years old. Uh, he was tired of traveling, and but he did say this, and he said it again to me. Uh, he was really not interested in Marlins or the, or any other franchise at that point. What he was interested in was anything that Tal Smith was interested in for him. He said, if Tal Smith gives me a call, I might consider doing something there. Uh, but he was ready to come back to Springfield and, and have some downtime. Well, the downtime didn't last very long. In the spring of 85, his good friend Whitey Herzog who is manager of the spring of the, of the St. Louis Cardinals asked him to go to spring training as a hitting instructor. And he did that fall, Jim Leland, who was a brand new manager for the pirates calls him up uh, because Jim was a rookie manager and he was, he had never managed. He was uh, Tony La Russa was his good friend. He'd worked with him, I think as a coach on with the white Sox. Uh, but that, but he, he had been in the minor league system all those years and he didn't have any MLB managerial experience. And so he really needed somebody like a Bill Verdon as a bench coach. And Bill agreed to come back to Pittsburgh and be his bench coach for the 86 season. He was a coach with him through the 96 season, not a bench coach, but in some form or another as a coach under Jim Leland during that entire time. And then in Springfield in the fall of 1976, Tal Smith and Larry Durker call up Bill Verdon here in Springfield and say, would you be interested in being Larry Durker's uh, bench coach for the 97 season? And Bill, the only thing he said was, I'm in. And so he came in and, and was the bench coach for Larry Durker. And, and Larry talks about that in the book. Um, a, a great deal. And so, and then after one season, Larry did pretty well as an Astro skipper for a few years there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after the 97 season, then he coached under uh, Pirates manager, Gene Lamont, uh, not as a bench coach, but as a coach. And then in, in 2001 and 2002, he was Lloyd McClendon's bench coach for two full seasons. Uh, and by the end of 2002, at the age of 71, I think he was pretty much done being a full-time Major League Baseball coach. Wow. Then he went to fantasy camp and spring training, clear up through the 2015 spring se uh, spring uh, training season. So he, he re remained very active uh, for, for another 13 years. Wow. So is there anything else you want to uh, tell people about the book? Maybe a reason that they should uh, check it out? Well, I want people to know what Bill Verdon was really like as a person. I mean, I mean, he had a remarkable 
professional baseball career that began uh, in 1950 uh, in Independence, Kansas, with the New York Yankee system. And he never went back down to the minors after making the major leagues as a player because he was that good. I mean, he was very good. They never sent him down for rehab or or for improvement purposes or anything else. He was always that good. Uh, Dick Grote uh, made a comment, and I think Roberto Clemente made a similar comment, that Bill Verdon kept pitchers at the major league level a lot longer than maybe they should have been because of his defensive play. Um, and so I want people to know that he was an underrated player. He may have been an unappreciated player in a lot of ways. He didn't uh, garner the, the media attention like a lot of other flamboyant players. He never bragged about himself. He just went out and did what he did, and he did it really well. Um, and there's some players when he became a manager that I know probably thought he was too tough. But all Bill wanted of players was for them to do the, the best that they could possibly do. And whether if that didn't get up to the bar that he needed, then that was okay. As long as they were doing the best that they could do, that's all he wanted from. And that's all he wanted from anybody, no matter what they did in life, uh, was to do the best they could. And I want people to know that about Bill. And Bill actually absolutely cared and I, and I know that's almost a cliche, but Bill cared about other human beings very much. And he wanted them to do well in life. Bill was a gifted athlete. He knew that. And he knew not everybody was as gifted as he was. Um, but he still wanted everybody to do well. The only thing I knew about Bill Verdon before... I talked to you, you know, for you to come on and talk about him. I just knew that he was the first manager that took the Astros to the playoffs. And that's kind of what he's known for, but he's done so much. He, he, you said he was from 1950 to 2002. The guy played professional baseball or was a manager for 52 years or a coach. And that's amazing. 52 years. He's someone that's not appreciated. Or, you know, he doesn't get the accolades from maybe like the public and the writer 